As we begin this morning, the first thing I want you to do is to think of the most exhausted you have ever been in your whole life. I know, exciting, right? But it could be maybe you're working in the yard all day. Maybe you were doing a construction project. Maybe you were just watching your kids all day. Or maybe you were traveling and you got to the point where you got home and you were just ready to find your bed and it could not come fast enough. So last summer in 2021, my family and I had the privilege to go to a Disney World on vacation. And we did all of the Disney things that you could possibly do in those five parks. And we went to Magic Kingdom and we rode all the rides that you could ride. And we went to Hollywood Studios and we left really fast because it was extremely hot. And if you've been to Hollywood Studios, you've been to Disney, you know that that place is 99% pavement, 1% rides, and 0% shade. And so in Florida in July, you just need to sometimes find some air conditioning. And so we did all of the things that we could do, and we had a great time. And according to my wife's calculations, we logged 59 rides in 68 hours at the parks while walking 57.8 miles or 118,380 steps in Florida in July. We were exhausted. We ate more than we should have, we bought more souvenirs than we should have, and we slept way less than we should have. And then it was time to go home, completely exhausted, but full of memories that will last a lifetime. We woke up at six o'clock on our final day, which in Disney time is like four, because you're so tired. And if memory serves, we were supposed to meet the airport shuttle outside of our hotel at 6.40 a.m. And I'll tell you straight up front that it was an extremely uneventful trip home. There was no missed flights, there was no delays, there was no lost luggage, but it was long. We walked in our door at 9.30 p.m. Central Time, 16 hours of travel. Now, you may be thinking there was no delays, there was no lost luggage. How could it possibly have taken that long? This is why. They sent us from Orlando to Las Vegas, to St. Louis, to Wichita. And we flew over our house twice. We said, could we get a pause or a parachute? Something, we'll jump, just let us out. We are exhausted, we are done. We are ready to call it a day. And we were tired, but we were not weary. Today we're gonna spend some time looking at the kind of weary that the song we just heard is really talking about. That kind of weary traveler. Because weary cannot be fixed with a good night's sleep or even a good nap. Did you know that according to the Sleep Foundation website, the perfect nap is 20 to 30 minutes long in a dark place with no interruptions, where you set an alarm so you don't oversleep, and you drink caffeine before you take a nap? Seriously, it said that it takes about 30 minutes for caffeine to kick in to an adult person, and so when you wake up, it's like this extra boost of energy to wake you up. But I got news for you. That perfect nap, it won't fix weary. When I told my daughter Hallie that I was preaching on weariness, her response was, oh, that's perfect for you. <laughs> Wait, what? And I started to think, I have traveled weariness many times in my life. How does she know that? What, what have I shown her? What is she talking about? What, 
what have I done? What have I said? And so I said, oh, dear sweet Hallie, apple of my eye, sweet child of mine, dear pumpkin, whatever do you mean? And she said, oh, that's perfect for you because you work really hard all the time and really long hours. And I thought, what a sweet kid. But that's not weary. I appreciate the sentiment, but that's not weary. Later in the week, we were talking again after school about this message, and she said, are you going to use my water bottle story where I broke it on the ground? And I said, no, probably not, because that's not weary. That's just anger and frustration and needing a new water bottle. Anger itself is not weariness. Frustration is not weariness. Stress is not weariness. Work is not weariness. Those things can all lead us to weariness, but then them of themselves are not weariness. Because weary is defined as exhausted in strength, endurance, vigor, or freshness, or having one's patience, tolerance, or pleasure exhausted. So see if any of these synonyms ring a bell for you this morning. Beaten down, burnt out, done, fatigued, spent, wiped out, drained, jaded, tapped out, worn out, exhausted. We're in the middle of a series on storms, and we have touched on grief, addiction, politics, and family relationships. And we've talked extensively about what to do in each of those situations. How do you remain anchored in those storms? But what do you do when the waves of those circumstances and others pound against you over and over and over and over? You see, anchors hold fast, and they help us not to move, but they don't prevent the waves from their relentless pounding. And so I don't care how big your anchor is, your boat is going to take a pounding. So today I want to look at these three waves that batter us in this life. And you probably have more than that when I give you these different categories, but they gave me the microphone, so these are the three we're sticking with. The first wave that hits us is culture. Anyone else glad the elections are over? If for no other reason, then we don't have to put up with advertisements anymore. These are all the places I received advertisements for candidates. TV commercials, radio commercials, text message, voicemail, snail mail, and even social media. It got to the point that when I went to the voting booth on Tuesday, I was half tempted to vote for the name I didn't recognize because it meant they bothered me the least. Maybe you were there too. But the election season to me is very representative of what culture in and of itself does all the time to us. Culture bombards us with messages in all of their forms telling us how to feel, telling us what you should approve of and what you should believe in. Whether it's social media or TV, movies, whatever form that culture takes for you, we as Christians take a beating. Our views are seen as hateful rather than loving. Our stance on issues is too conservative or not with the times. So as Christ followers, every time we hear one of these things, we get beaten down a little more. We say things like, well, I don't necessarily agree with gay marriage. We're told that we're hateful and ignorant. Well, I think people should wait to have sex until they're married. How antiquated are your views? Get with the times. Life begins at conception. My body, my choice. Pornography destroys lives and ruins the sanctity of marriage. It's just sex. What's the big deal? And it works the other way, too. We as Christians can be pretty pounding on our friends as well. They say things like, I'm not sure about gay marriage. I have some questions. We say, what's wrong with you? Don't you even read the Bible? Or, I don't think his abortion is quite as clear-cut as you're making it out to be. Don't you know what the Bible says? It says that God knew you in your mother's womb. How stubborn are you? 
And by the end, the loudest voice wins, and we wonder if the fight is even worth it. The second wave that hits us is life circumstances. When I think of biblical example of hard times, I always go to the story of Job. If you don't know the story of Job, let me set the table a little bit for you. Job was a man of God who had an amazing family of 10 kids. He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, and he had numerous servants. Basically, he had it all. In Job 1.6, we read that one day angels came before the Lord and Satan came with them. Later on, we read that Satan challenges God in verse 11, saying, quote, But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you. God allows Satan to attack Job, but he tells Satan, You can't lay a finger on Job himself. So we pick it up in verse 13. One day, when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabaeans attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them and they are dead. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. A messenger came with bad news. Then while he was still speaking, then while he was still speaking, then while he was still speaking, four messengers, one after the other, after the other. Verse 14, verse 16, verse 17, verse 18, does it ever end? Wave after wave after wave crashing into Job. You ever been there? You felt like Job? Please, God, no more knocks on the door. No more phone calls, no more text messages, no more messengers. Anyone feeling that way today? The bad news keeps piling on, each one seemingly worse than the last. Maybe it's rejection for you. You didn't get the job you thought you wanted. You nailed the interview, they were extremely positive with you, you said all the right things, they said all the right things. Then you get the phone call that says, we're going with another candidate. We appreciate your time and your interest and maybe we can connect somewhere down the road. And then you get another interview and another call and another and another. Or maybe a relationship is ending. A friendship that had been there for years is dissolved and you quite frankly don't know why. A marriage is over and you are left wondering where it all went wrong. And it all adds up to you feeling rejected by the ones you love the most. Maybe it's financial. The water heater broke just as you were in, uh, getting into this cold weather. The car didn't start this morning. The roof sprang a leak. The deck is rotting. The stock market went down. And you wonder where the money is going to come from to fix it all. Why is this all happening at the same time? Come on, Powerball. Somebody won that. You're going to have to start over. Maybe it's just bad news piling up. You get laid off and you don't know where the next meal is coming from. You get a call from a relative that got difficult news from the doctor. A loved one passes away. The doctor calls with results, and you and your spouse may never have kids, so you call the adoption agency, but they say it will be a while before you are placed. And even then, there's no guarantees. But in the meantime, you go for a walk, and you see families playing in their front yard, posting on social media about their kids' activities. And externally and on the comments, you say, love the pics, because you know it's not their fault. But inside, as you type those words, you're crying and beaten down and defeated. This life will be difficult. 
We are told as much in Scripture. We are not guaranteed time to recover from the last wave. Job's life didn't get stripped away from him over the course of days. This happened in several minutes. You may be wondering in your storm when you can catch your breath. Lord, I just need a minute. I can't take another wave. And then here comes another one, our third wave in your spiritual walk. This life we are called to as followers of Christ can make us weary. It really makes you excited to join the team, doesn't it? Matthew 5.11, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Blessed. Our human nature can read that word all day long and know that it's true, but it doesn't make it any easier. It doesn't take away the weariness of walking with Christ and standing for his truth. We already talked about how culture can beat us down as Christians, but what about when we get overwhelmed by our calling as Christians? Galatians 6, 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. We are called to show God's love to all in numerous ways. But we also are human beings with finite energy and physical limitations. Becoming burned out through the service to others is a very common occurrence. Many of you have experienced this in your own life, overextending yourselves for the betterment and benefit of others. Quick to say yes and lend a hand, but over time you begin to wonder if anyone else is even being asked, is my school, my church, my family, are they looking anywhere but to me? The second part of this verse implies that we won't always see the rewards from our lives as Christians, but we should press on anyways. We should continue to care for others when everything in us is asking, is this even worth it? That particularly applies in our prayer lives. Have you ever grown weary in your prayer life, praying consistently for the healing of a loved one, friend, or even yourself? It can be frustrating when it just isn't happening. Praying for a converted heart for someone else for years may never seem to work. Some days are easier to offer those prayers than others, and thankfully we serve a God who has perfect timing because it's his timing. Don't forget that the blank page in the Bible between the Old Testament and the New Testament represents 400 years of silence. To put that in perspective, that's like from the year 1622 until now, or from now until the year 2422. I don't know about you, but if I waited 400 years for something, I'd be pretty weary. We get frustrated when we wait 15 minutes for our dinner at a restaurant. 400 years, nothing from God. It would be very hard as a Christian not to be weary. Before I joined the staff here at South Rock, I was a computer software programmer for a tax company. In 2007, I volunteered to help with Upward as a basketball referee, and it changed my life forever. But it took a while. After that first season, I was asked to be the referee coordinator, and I served in that role for three years. And after that, I was invited to a meeting where they asked several people uh, in this room if they would be interested in taking over as director. Myself and two other guys, Sean Springer and Corey McCracken, decided to team up and take the role of co-directors. After that first season, I was absolutely hooked. I loved everything about it. When I was asked about goals at my actual job that I was getting paid for, I struggled to come up with any. When I was asked for the goals that I had for Upward, which I was volunteering for at the time, I could name a million of them. The possibility of a staff position came up in the fall of 2011 during a conversation with church leadership. I was extremely intrigued at the idea of doing sports ministry full time. The answer from leadership, though, was not right now, but it's something we're looking at down the road. And my first question was, well, how long is the road? No one really knew. 
I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I had friends and family praying. I wanted so badly to work in sports ministry full time and also quite frankly to work with my friends. I started at South Rock in April of 2013, 18 months after the initial conversation. To say I was weary during those 18 months would be a very accurate statement. His timing, not mine. He knew when it first came up in 2011 that I was nowhere near ready to be on a church staff. The preparation he did in me over those 18 months was easy to recognize later. I wish I could say that it's all been smooth sailing since then, but that's not our calling as Christians, is it? Even when they let you put the word pastor after your name. So how long have you been waiting? For many of you, I'm sure the answer is a lot longer than 18 months. Don't discount the work being done in your life or the lives of those you're praying for while you wait. And ultimately remember what he tells us in Isaiah. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. So that's a lot of waves. It's a lot of ways to get knocked down. Been pretty beaten down over the last several minutes here. Culturally, spiritually, just in life circumstances. But there's hope. For the rest of our time today, we're going to look at the anchors we can hold on to in our weariness that give us hope for an eternal outcome. The first anchor we want to hold on to is the one that says to seek one-on-one time with God. Carve out time in your day to get away from your weariness. There is somewhere you can go to be alone with your thoughts. Maybe it's your back deck. Maybe it's your home office. Maybe it's your work office. Maybe it's just in your car sitting in the driveway. Find a spot to spend time with God. Now, this one seems pretty obvious, but if we're being honest, I think most of us struggle with this one, and not because we don't spend time with God, because we do. It usually takes the form of a devotional in the morning with a good book or attending a Bible study or worshiping in the car through music. There's nothing wrong with any of that. God loves to spend time with us in all the forms that that takes. There is no special time or place to find God. But there is something incredibly special about setting aside time to do nothing else but talk with your Heavenly Father. When was the last time you took a notebook and a pen, and not your phone because that has way too many built-in distractions, but a notebook and a pen to a quiet place and ask God to speak to you, began praying and writing down his responses? Get away and pray. We see Christ model this for us several times, but one of my personal favorites is immediately after feeding the 5,000. Imagine this moment. Jesus had just performed a miracle for a huge crowd. You know there would have been pats on the back and thank yous, and it would have taken a while because feeding 5,000 people is going to take a minute. So you know at the end of the day, Jesus and his disciples would have been pretty weary and worn out, but they would probably have been satisfied at the day they had experienced together. The gathering begins to break up, and let's read Mark 6, 45 through 46 and see what happens. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. The very first thing on Jesus' mind after this monumental day is to pray. Are we the same way? If I'm being honest, I'm not. I pray to start my upward game days. Every Saturday morning, I start with prayer. On Fridays, when I'm setting up and getting ready, It's just me and God and the paint cart, or me and God and moving some chairs, and I pray. I pray for the players, I pray for the coaches, I pray for the fans, the families, the volunteers. It's a very meaningful time for me. It's something that I need to get ready for the weekend. 
But what about on Saturday night? The games are done, for better or worse. The stuff has been put away. That's a little different. I'll tell you right now that after a long day at Upward, I go home, I take off my shoes, I grab a Diet Mountain Dew. Don't judge me, they're delicious. I know they're terrible for me, but man, are they tasty. And I kick my feet up and I watch whatever sport and season we might be in, whether that's football during soccer season or basketball after a long day of watching kids play. After a little bit, I start to reflect on the day, both positive and negative, and I start to think about and plan what next Saturday will look like. What do I need to say to coaches and parents as we prepare for the week ahead of practices and games? And let me tell you that by the end of the season, I can get pretty weary in those Saturday nights. They get a little longer. The first question I get from my wife when I get home is usually, was it a good day? And on Sunday morning when I get to church, the people I know look at me and say, how did yesterday go? The implication, of course, being that they understand completely how youth sports work. They've had kids go through it. They've volunteered to help me. And they know that things can get a little crazy with fans, referees, and players. But that unspoken part of that question, the part that says, did anyone complain, freak out, or yell? That is a very draining place to live for two months. So the question I had for myself as I was thinking about it, would it be as draining? Would I be as weary if after every single Saturday night, I didn't go home first? I took a moment and I prayed. If I prayed in the gym after everything was put away, if I got in my car and I had a notebook ready right there and I just wrote down my thoughts and I just listened to God individually, would I be as weary? My guess is that I wouldn't. And the reason that we even have access to him and that we can pray is the second anchor we need to hold on to, and that is that God lives in you. God living in us gives us access to some very powerful traits of our Heavenly Father. But before we get there, I want to go back to Job for a second and talk about a couple of verses that I skipped initially. Job 1.7 and Job 2.2, they say the same thing, and it's this. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Satan roams among us. I think sometimes we put God in heaven and we put Satan in hell. And we say, God, you sit up there in the clouds with your lightning bolts and you throw them down at Satan. And Satan, you're going to stay down here in hell and you're going to have your pitchfork and you're going to shoot your sparks up at God. And the lightning and the sparks are going to meet somewhere in the sky and it's going to be awesome. And we make this idealistic kind of cartoon out of the whole thing. The reality is that Satan doesn't need to do big, dramatic displays to get our attention. As we saw with Job, he can and will use attacks. But he doesn't have to. He is called the father of lies for a reason. He walks among us and he loves to sit down with you in your weariness and just have a conversation. Maybe you've heard some of these. Hey, how's it going? I can't believe she said that. I know, right? She's completely lost it. Oh, you're thinking about leaving? Yeah, I would too. In fact, if it was me, I would have left yesterday. Hey, tell me more about this other lady. Tell me more about her. Oh, you feel loved and appreciated around her? Yeah, that's probably a pretty good thing, isn't it? You deserve to be happy. What's that? Oh, you think, yeah, that's what people will say. Does it really matter, though? Because you deserve to be happy. Or this one, what's up, man? How's the family? Oh, really? Your son does? I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, I don't know why you got sick and all this stuff is happening. It seems to happen to you all the time. The prognosis doesn't look good. I don't know where God is either. I mean, I'm here. Maybe God's just not listening to you. And in our weariness, 
we listen to the lies. But there's great news for Christians because God lives in you. Satan walks among us. God lives in us. What a key difference. One operating outside the body, one operating inside. And so with that perspective of outside versus inside, I want to look at some very well-known scriptures, starting with John 10.10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So outside the body, we find Satan steal, kill, destroy. Sounds weary to me. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, throwing these arrows at you, wearing you down. But inside the body, life to the full, the opposite of weary. Inside of you resides the God of life, and he wants you to have it to the full. Not partially, not halfway. His glass is never half anything. It is always full. In 1 Peter 5.8, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Outside the body, a roaring lion prowling around looking for someone to devour. Inside the body, alert and sober-minded, ready to fight off the attacks of the enemy. And with God residing in you through the Holy Spirit, that gives you access to all the best attributes of God. The one who lives in you will not grow faint. Isaiah 40, 28. Have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Isaiah 40, 31. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. The one who lives in you has overcome the world. John 16, 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. The one who lives in you provides rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. We can utilize these characteristics of God because he lives in us, but he only lives in us because he first walked among us. Jesus came to this earth to walk among us and show us how to live. That's a pretty Sunday school statement. But in light of what we read about Satan a moment ago, let's think about this a little bit. Satan walks among us. Jesus walked among us. Only one of them overcame death. God came to this earth and walked among us and knew that that wasn't good enough. That wasn't the end of his story. He had what we should all have, and that is our third anchor today, an eternal mindset. We do not live this life for only the benefits of this life. We live this life for the benefits of our next life. It is imperative that as Christians, we view everything we do and everything we experience through the lens of eternity. So let's go back to Job for a second. We know Satan attacked and took away his livelihood and his family at the snap of his fingers. But what we stopped at was right before verse 20. In verse 20 through 22, it says, At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Job worshipped in his weariness. He fell to the ground in praise of his creator, recognizing that life is temporary and can be taken from us at any moment by the power of the one who lives forever. We are called to worship through our weariness, 
because of the eternal glory that we live for. The Bible is full of examples of people with an eternal mindset, and the one I want to spend the rest of our time together on is Paul. As most of you might know, Paul is a wonderful example of living for the next life. He wrote a large portion of the New Testament, and he did so through many trials and tribulations. He wrote while in prison, while on a deserted island, while on a mountain, while in chains, and yet he writes the following, 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. All of those phrases imply hardship. Fought the good fight. You don't fight for something you don't want. If it isn't important to you, you're not fighting for it. If somebody tries to take it, you'll just give it up. You don't want it. But if you really want it, you'll fight for it. The word fight implies a struggle for a desired outcome. Finish the race. Any long-distance runners in here will tell you that there comes a point in the race where your body just wants to quit. It becomes mind over matter, one foot in front of the other to reach the finish line. Kept the faith. Someone or something tried to take it. You don't keep something unless someone is trying to take it or make you get rid of it. A force was trying to take what you had, but you kept it. All of these phrases convey a struggle from Paul. And why did he struggle? In verse 8, he gives us the answer. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. The crown that we fight for through our weariness will be awarded in eternity. James 1.12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Paul wasn't done in verse 8. There was more to it. You see, he says he will be awarded on that day, and then there's this dash. And it's a very important dash, because what comes after the dash is the following. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Jesus knows your weariness. He understands it because he felt it. He was fully human, and he understood human emotions. We see his love and compassion for others in stories like the woman at the well. We see his sadness when we read that he wept over his friend Lazarus. We see his anger when he was flipping tables over for the money changers. And we see his weariness on the night that he was arrested. Mark 14, 33. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch. The same God that was going to conquer death, the same God that lives in you now, the same God that calls you his son or daughter, said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He knows your weariness. He's been there. And guess what? He came out better on the other side. He lied in a tomb for three days, rose from the grave, and walked into eternity so that your weariness is not permanent. He calls to you, weary traveler. He says, you were never meant to walk this road alone. I'm here. Rest in me. Don't rely on yourself. Don't rely on this world. Rest in me as I live in you. But you have to choose. Somebody here needs to choose God for the first time today. Others of us need to remind her that we have to choose every day. Jesus said, take up your cross daily and follow me. Earlier I mentioned the importance of a time with God and set apart from distraction, set apart from books, and one of the anchors that we hold on to. We offer that anchor to you every service now. Before, during, and after every service, our prayer room is open. 
you can go over there anytime you want and say hi to your heavenly father. Whether you have a decision to make or just need a minute with God, I invite you to do so as we sing in a moment. But for all of us, remember that someday soon, we're gonna make it home. It'll all be worth it. The crown of righteousness awaits when we finish the race. Let's stand and sing. Thank you.